0: Thank you for staying tuned to WRGC 88.3 FM. It is a minute before 8 o'clock. Coming up in an hour of local programming from the Lake Country's home for National Public Radio and Georgia Public Broadcasting radio programming. This week, international negotiators at the United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP26, in Glasgow, continue to hammer out agreements on how to live up to and hopefully exceed the provisions of the Paris Climate Accords. But in the six years since the Paris Agreement, there's been lackluster progress on meeting the goals that will help our planet avoid the harsher impacts of climate change. As government representatives meet in Scotland, my guests in a new Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections wonder if business leaders might do a better job protecting the environment and preventing the worst of climate change. This week's Times Talk asks the question, climate change, can corporations come to the rescue? We'll preview that conversation next after a short break for Station Identification. You're listening to WRGC 88.3 FM, a broadcast service of Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university.
1: Support for Georgia College
2: Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu.
0: Into Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. I am your host, Daniel McDonald. Today, we reconvene our collaboration with the American Democracy Project at Georgia College to bring their Times Talk conversations to you, our radio audience. The Times Talk is a current events and ideas symposium that takes place at noon on Wednesdays via Zoom. These events are free and open to the public, so if this discussion sparks your interest, please consider joining the conversation via Zoom at noon this Wednesday. On today's edition of the Times Talk on Georgia College Connections, my guests, Georgia College Business Law and Ethics Professor Jahan L and Georgia College Marketing Student Gavin Holloway explore the depth of corporations' engagement in efforts to combat climate change. During this week's Times Talk, they asked the question, climate change, can corporations come to the rescue? Jahan el Gavin Holloway, thank you all for joining me on this Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections.
1: Hi, Daniel. Thanks. Thank you
2: for having us.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure. And so we're talking about a, a very e- expansive topic that can uh, find its way into many parts of our social and governmental strata. Uh, But first, I thought we would try to talk about uh, some of the promises that corporations are making uh, to positively affect the environment. And so, can you all describe the ways that some of these corporate climate promises hope to address threats to our environment?
2: A lot of corporations now have been announcing goals for the next, say, 20 even 30, even 50 years, and a lot of these big companies are promising to be neutral and carbon zero, and what this means is they decrease their emissions to the point where they don't have any, and some corporations have even taken it a step further to say that they are going to be carbon negative, and they'll be reducing the amount of carbon emissions in the next 20, 30 years.
1: Yeah, Gavin just mentioned some companies that are going even beyond. Uh, One example is Interface. It's an Atlanta carpet modular tile company. They make carpet and uh, they had a previous goal of mission zero where they wanted to be net zero. But now they have a project called Climate Take Back and now they're trying to reverse global warming from their perspective and so they're doing they're using alternative energy they're doing carbon sequestration so they're using some really innovative science-based methods in order to try to address climate change
0: i myself am a little bit of a cynic and i see uh there being a popularity to making these pledges and promises can you all kind of uh, just uh, engage with me in my uh, my cynical take on things? Uh, do these promises uh, take a holistic approach uh, to our environment? Uh, thus far, uh, we've talked much about emissions, but is that the total picture and that the uh, full realm of responsibility that we need to be taking, uh, given the environmental place where we find ourselves now?
2: Yeah, I think corporations are focusing more on gas emissions than other forms of pollution. And a lot of these companies don't have as much of a carbon footprint um, when it comes to polluting, say, like plastics into the oceans. But I think that the new trend has been corporations promising to cut back on carbon emissions, gases, greenhouse gases, and, and anything that affects
1: that. You know, corporations, they are going to assess their risks. And so with climate change, there's physical risks where they're going to have uh, maybe less space. They're going to lose, you know, with rising sea level, uh, maybe lost crops, etc. You're going to have compliance risks with regulation and then also litigation risks. But you're getting to the point of, uh, you know, with being skeptical about it, that there's also a reputational risk. Um, Some companies are going to assess, like, if we don't jump on the bandwagon, if we don't do something about climate change, then people are going to see us as not socially responsible and they may not purchase from us anymore. And so whatever risk they're assessing, I don't so much object to it. You know, you may be skeptical about their motivations, but if the end result is that they're doing something to tackle a very real problem, then I'm okay with it.
0: And I want to talk more about some of the promises uh, that you all have brought up as examples and some of the other uh, ways that uh, corporations are trying to uh, communicate their commitment to our environment. Uh, What are some of the complications that make these promises uh, difficult to fulfill and or easy to ignore or even um, deceive about?
2: So one way that it makes it difficult to fulfill and corporations are having issues with figuring out how they're going to do it is they're making these promises for 2030, 2050, and when they make promises that far out, their corporation, their company, their business is going to be growing. It's going to be expanding, and by growing and expanding, they're going to be having more missions. So not only do they have to navigate through the growth phase and handling with the growth of the company as a whole, but they also have to handle reducing their emissions even after growing.
1: Yeah, another issue that they have is measuring what those emissions are. They make these targets. We want to reduce greenhouse gases by 40% by a certain year. Well, have they even measured their emissions? And, and there's direct emissions from their plants their smoke sacks, for instance. But then there's also something called scope three emissions, which refers to the pollution that's caused by suppliers and customers. And so down the supply chain, as raw goods are shipped across an ocean, you have to take into account those emissions as well. And so being able to assess all those emissions and that baseline, that's a problem. A lot of companies haven't accurately measured the baseline in order to then measure a reduction.
0: And obviously, we're talking about the whole world of business out here, uh, but is it possible to uh, give our audience members some insight into strategies that are being employed to try to implement some of these environmental promises that are being made?
2: Yeah, so a company called BlackRock, they have set their ambition to control it where they invest into their assets. And- They want to be carbon zero in all of their assets that they manage by 2050. And what we see now is a lot of corporations being controlled by investment and investors. And with these investments and investors, they have control of that scope three emission category. And that's how we are seeing corporations beginning to look at how they're going to manage these emissions.
1: Yeah. He mentioned the financial market. There's like $130 trillion of assets being managed by the United Nations Glasgow Financial Alliance for net zero. And they have all committed to the program to cut emissions. Basically, they just are making demands on the company's assets that they're managing. In terms of the companies themselves there's been an increased commitment to science-based targets, and that's something that Gavin and I are working on in a paper. Gavin is doing an honors option that's looking at using satellite and space data to assess greenhouse gas emissions and using those as a way to level the playing field. Like, so many companies are pretty good at assessing their emissions But it's like it's self-reported data, and it's hard for investors to look at that and say, okay, is this real? But if we use more science-based data like remote sensing satellites that can give us real numbers to compare one smokestack to another smokestack or one um, vehicle to another vehicle, then you're able to adequately compare and make investment decisions based on sound data.
0: You're listening to a Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. Tomorrow, my guests, Georgia College business law and ethics professor Jahan el and Georgia College marketing student Gavin Holloway explore the depth of corporations' engagement in efforts to combat climate change. During this week's Times Talk, they ask the question, climate change, can corporations come to the rescue? The Times Talk takes place at noon tomorrow via Zoom. You can learn more on WRGC's Facebook page. We'll be right back with more of our conversation on corporations and climate change. Stay tuned. And of course, uh, much of our conversation to this point has been about uh, promises that corporations are making. Um, I want to take a little bit of a shift just briefly to the framework for finding out whether or not corporations are actually making good on those promises. So, what is the legal responsibility of corporations to conduct business in a way that is environmentally responsible or beneficial? In other words, we think commonly about organizations like the Environmental Protection Division levying fines against those who are doing things that break laws uh, but what is the framework for keeping up with companies that are making promises to do good
1: companies have a duty to their shareholders to their owners and that shareholders will often make proxy requests or they'll make shareholder requests that If there's enough of them, it can move the needle on the actions of the company. So in other words, the shareholders can hold the officers responsible for the promises that they've made. That's sort of a voluntary, internal, market-driven response. In terms of any kind of regulation or any sort of check on it from a policy standpoint, there's really not one currently. The SEC right now has a duty to protect investors, and so, companies do have to report environmental impacts they do have to discuss compliance costs and disclose any kind of material changes like physical risks but there's not a very clear-cut obligation to fulfill like environmental promises now the SEC is going forward with rules on climate disclosures this is something that is new you know we're going to be seeing this in the next probably year and so i can't exactly predict what that's going to look like, but it looks like the SEC will be able to regulate promises made in regards to climate change.
0: And of course, I want to ask you, what would that look like? But as you've just stated, this is the future. It's hard to speculate about the future. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, one thing that we are advocating or that we're recommending is that those regulations be based on science-based data and targets. And that's why we're advocating for, satellites and remote sensing technology so that you have comparable data instead of relying on these companies to be honest and disclose on their own. There's a, a CEO, the retired CEO of YKK, um, Alex Gregory, who is a graduate of Georgia College, and he was in charge of this huge company. And he has this expression where he says, trust people. Yes, trust, but verify. And so I always think about that. You know, it's, it's not, it's well and good to trust employees, to trust companies to do the right thing. But I think it's also important to have verifiable data.
0: And I kind of want to go back to something uh, that you just mentioned within that last response. And it's about the uh, corporate responsibility to shareholders to actually act in a beneficial way on these environmental issues. That, in my mind, uh, again, the cynic's mind, is a real big shift in the culture surrounding corporations. Can our corporate community actually make that kind of a fundamental shift in capitalist culture uh, necessary to address the challenge of climate change?
1: Well, in the United States, from 2018 to 2020, the sustainable investments grew by 42%. So you can see shareholders, you can see investors putting their money where their mouth is. People are desiring to invest in companies that are making a commitment that is making a real change. And companies are driven, ultimately, by money.
0: And that being in money in this sense, not actually the profit that they can generate through their business, uh, but the money that is being invested to make their business successful? Exactly. And can you talk a little bit more about that and how investors are either uh, working as individuals or coming together to try to create this as another priority uh, within the corporate culture of any individual or any uh, large swath of the corporate environment?
1: So the financial industry, the financial system itself, like companies like BlackRock that hold Trillions of dollars of assets under management have made commitments. Um, The the financial entity, the management fund itself, is committing to sustainability. Um, Larry Fink is a CEO of BlackRock, and this is a commitment maybe he made a year ago. That's on a, a more systemic level. So when you have the asset manager who's devoted to sustainability, and then you get a group of asset managers together, in Glasgow who are making a commitment. Now we have hundreds of trillions, trillions with a T, who are invested in cutting emissions to sustainability. It's not just a few shareholders, or you call them activist shareholders here and there who are making noise and banging on pots on the corner, or a few tree huggers here and there. These are massive funds that are being managed that are seeking to change policy through investments. And so I think there is momentum And I think it's momentum that's going downhill that is not really going to be able to be stopped at this point.
0: And, of course, the article that y'all are presenting as a part of your Times talk casts a lot of shade on these commitments, saying that they're kind of, uh, you know, fuzzy and we want more disclosure about what the actual actions that are going to be taken to meet these commitments, uh, then especially on uh, what is uh, perceived, at least on my part, to be a very long time scale that the uh, positive impacts are questionable themselves. Uh, can y'all talk about um, just that air of skepticism out there and how maybe corporations are trying to check that skepticism?
2: Yes, the companies are making these promises for 20, 30 years out, and they're making those promises because they they still have a ways to go. I mean, climate change is something that can't happen instantly, and it's going to take several years to get to where it needs to be. And I think companies are making these big promises, but they're also forgetting how, as us consumers have seen, products and companies have been greenwashing and advertising as being a green company, but yet we've still seen... Environmental disasters coming from these companies still. So we're left in a position where we have to figure out what we believe and what we don't believe. And with it being an issue, it's hard to believe that it's going to change at the rate that they're saying, being so far out. However, I feel like if companies were to be stating short term goals and setting those ambitions to be shorter in time, then people would be able to see more result faster, and that's where the reputation of these companies joining the shift would come from.
1: I'd like to give some concrete examples. For instance, in the power and utility industry, you see companies that are shifting from wholly fossil fuel-based supplies to Alternative energy, wind, solar, hydro, nuclear, etc. they're diversifying their portfolio. They're realizing that these resources are not finite. We've got to diversify. We're going to continue to exist as a company. Even companies like ExxonMobil and Shell and BP, these companies are all diversifying what they are offering. And you have companies like Maersk, which is a global shipping giant that's out of Denmark. It has now purchased eight ships that operate on alternative fuels and that are lighter and that have uh, fewer emissions. You've got airlines. Uh, There was a recent flight that was the first flight using alternative aerospace fuel. So we're seeing shifts from companies that have been known as sort of traditional polluters, um, air shipping utilities that are taking proactive steps in order to meet a challenge and continue with their business while still trying to address these challenges.
0: And I want to ask y'all to just go um, another step further or address another part of this You did mention some industries that just by the nature of what they do, it is very hard for them to either become a net zero company or to just uh, completely strike out the negative impact. Uh, When a company has that kind of industry that makes that so much difficult, um, many times we hear about them trying to purchase offsets and make investments in ways of just getting their carbon footprint down to zero. Uh, Might y'all talk a little bit about how that aspect of these kinds of uh, promises work?
1: Carbon sequestration is one option, so it's a process of capturing and storing atmospheric carbon dioxide, and some companies are working with some high-tech companies that are figuring out how to draw carbon from the air, put it in the soil, put it in sinks. Um, So that's one method. It's a costly method right now because it's new technology. Another, you mentioned offsets. Offsets is when you're basically, in a way, like pain to blue. Like, okay, we realize that we're not going to be able to cut carbon, but we're going to ask that you not create emissions, this other company or another entity, and we'll swap. So in other words, like, I'm going to get credit for you not polluting the air and add that to my you know, portfolio. So it only looks like I'm only polluting partially and I'm offsetting it by your commitment not to pollute. So there's that. I think carbon sequestration is something that we're going to see more of. I think the technology is advancing at a good rate and um, some companies who are earnest in their efforts to combat climate change are making real strides in this regard. And it's definitely a better solution than offsets. There's al- also commitments to reduce deforestation and so to find alternative products instead of like with agriculture, finding either more efficient methods of agriculture so that you, ha- you can use less land or using different types of like bamboo instead of certain kind of raw wood products so that you're not creating the same loss of carbon sequestration that is, exists in forests.
0: You're listening to a Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. Tomorrow, my guests, Georgia College Business Law and Ethics Professor Jahan el and Georgia College Marketing Student Gavin Holloway explore the depth of corporations' engagement in efforts to combat climate change. During this week's Times Talk, they ask the question, climate change, can corporations come to the rescue? The Times Talk takes place at noon tomorrow via Zoom. You can learn more on WRGC's Facebook page. We'll be right back with more of our conversation on corporations and climate change. Stay tuned. y'all mentioned that y'all are doing research on this topic. Um, give me alls opinion about what y'all have researched and your feelings of how the corporate community is doing uh, within regard to its responsibility uh, to the environment.
2: Our research is looking into the use of satellite technology can set a standard and accurately measure the amount of emissions that are coming from companies. And I think that because of that, it's going to set, like, a bigger standard, and companies are going to have to, you know, look at that and see that almost as a threat. And if it can be taken into the government and used on a political level to control this movement, then companies are going to see a lot of, I guess what you can say is calling out. And what it would do is it's going to bring light to the issue in the future. And I think that's why this research is so important.
1: Yeah, we were looking at the climate uh, change disclosure comments that were made by people who are responding to the SEC's call for rules. And of all the comments that were made, there were like 600 comments. Several of them, about only about 20 or so, refer to satellite technology in space. And so in looking at that, there's definitely some entities out there that are advocating for these really concrete ways of measuring. And so, for, for example, these remote sensing satellites, they're capable of monitoring hotspots like methane releases. And if you follow the COP26 talks, there was a major commitment to reduce methane There's a methane pledge, about 100 nations pledging to cut methane by 30% by 2030. And so these remote sensing satellites can identify methane releases really easily. And they can also identify point sources and leaks. They can generate views of entire landscapes, though they can show the degree of land disturbances, tilled fields, deforestation, et cetera. And so this technology is applicable to lots of industries like oil and gas, power generation, coal mining, agriculture, waste management and provides this clear indicator that we think is really important so that people can have data visualization and have accurate information for investors.
0: And it, from the research y'all have done, is that technology uh, to the point where we might engage other stakeholders in this conversation? In other words, is that information to a point where it can be presented to consumers uh, so they can become a part of this regulatory uh, framework? And yeah, they can make the
1: demand. You mean? <laughs>
0: yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Like yeah. So um, there are companies that are providing these services. They are fairly expensive. So unfortunately. There is not a level playing field for access to this information. And so uh, one thing that I think has to be a part of if we're going to use this data, we have to make it affordable for all types of industries, all types of companies. But right now it's used in pockets here and there. It does exist. It is being used, but it's not uniform and it's, you're not able to compare accurately.
0: And uh, might y'all talk about some of the findings, uh, if that's the proper word to say, about uh, what is necessary for that next step to be taken, uh, where we can have that broader engagement in this means of holding our corporate community responsible for the impact that they have on the environment?
1: I think the Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve, the SEC, uh, governmental entities in the United States, have to have requirements uh, imposed on the corporations. It cannot just be voluntary and market driven because you're going to see some companies that do it, do it right, and some companies who are going to try to do it and do it sloppy, and there's going to be some companies that don't do it all. Unless you require it across the board, you're not going to have a uniform application and uniform reporting. So I think there need to be regulations put in place. And I think it's very possible that in the next year that rules will go into place. And now whether or not companies accurately measure, if it's going to be based on voluntary disclosures, then I don't think that's the right way to go. I think we need to find a way to use best available technology and make it accessible for all industries.
2: Even Microsoft's chief environmental officer said that it can't be voluntary and that we need requirements and standards in order for everyone to accept and be expected to meet these goals and requirements.
0: And of course, uh, very early in our conversation, uh, you mentioned the collecting of governments uh, from across the globe to come together and review uh, their commitments to the Paris Climate Accord. In your last response, uh, we talked about governmental entities within the United States. Uh, might you talk about the uh, global community and uh, whether Uh, regulations made within the United States are sufficient to uh, encompass a larger uh, global issue or the state of international talks about these issues in efforts to find uh, regulation that can really address the scope of the issue we're talking about?
1: And this is clearly a, a global problem. It's something that crosses borders. And the United States currently is an outlier in terms of its corporate climate. In other parts of the world, ESG reporting and metrics is way further along. So ESG, again, is a reference to environmental, social, and governance reporting. So, for instance, there's the International Financial Reporting Standards Foundation that has certain regulations. There's also an International Federation of Accountants in Geneva. There's a European Commission reporting directive. There are several non-governmental entities that companies contract with that have disclosure requirements. It's sort of like aspirational. So, hey, we're going to be governed by this nonprofit, the Global Reporting Initiative. There's some United States companies that choose to do that. So you have this governments in other countries that have regulations. You have these non-governmental sort of guidelines. And in the United States, we are behind right now it has been mostly voluntary in terms of whether or not companies have decided to make certain disclosures, to make certain initiatives within their companies. And I think it's really important that the United States as the, I don't know, for second or third highest emitter of greenhouse gases in the globe to also have corporations on the same level playing field as European counterparts in other countries.
2: I agree that the issue is domestic, um, the issue is also globally. And one big takeaway from the COP26 summit is the fact that Russia and China, they did not even really support this movement. China didn't even show up. And I think that the issue that we might see in the future is getting everybody globally on the same page. And I think that it will start with how we handle... The new movement in the United States, but I also think that it's going to play a huge political factor in how businesses operate globally.
1: Yeah, when they were negotiating Paris climate agreement, getting India to the table was just so critical. They were resistant because of their development goals. China as well. You know, at the time of Paris climate, they were building all these coal-fired plants and said, you know, this is necessary for our development, for our advancement. And they were able to get India to the table. And in this negotiation in Glasgow, India has been there, but China has been notably absent, as has Russia. And China is the number one emitter of greenhouse gases in the world. And it's critical that these countries that are the greatest emitters must must negotiate, must collaborate in order to try to solve this problem for all of humanity. But you know what? So I teach business law, I teach business ethics, and there's so many issues that I think government should handle sometimes that it does not for political reasons. That sometimes I'm heartened or I'm encouraged that when government drops the ball, sometimes companies pick up the ball and they run with it. And so this is one of those issues that in the absence of global governments being able to see eye to eye, that if our global corporatocracy, if our heads of the biggest companies across the world, if they can pick up the ball and they can run with it, they could potentially solve this crisis for us.
0: But yet, you know, when we talk about the responsibility of our large corporate citizens, I just, I myself am disheartened by one of the other events during this time that relates to the climate and i just ask you know what did the most recent round of corporate hand-wringing uh, now granted by fossil fuel industry executives uh, to congress over deception and i'll venture to say uh, conspiratorial behavior to distort and downplay the effect that their businesses have on the environment what does that say about corporations fitness uh, for the task of having a positive impact on the environment
2: I think that corporations have oftentimes focused on lobbying and, you know, winning their objective when it comes to politics, and I think that recently it's been brought to light that corporations aren't going to be able to do this with the environment because more awareness is being brought to it, and I think that, you know, the issue now is corporations are starting to realize, you know, we can't just promise something and then, oh, maybe we're short on our goal. I think corporations are starting to realize that they need to promise something or they're going to see a detrimental effect to their company.
1: I think sometimes companies can change behavior. I mean, one, they have a captive market, right? A lot of them have products that everyone relies on. And so if they make a minor change, like, okay, we're not going to have completely petroleum based fuel, we're going to have ethanol in it and other materials, so we're going to cut it with some side of biofuel, then everyone gets used to it. No one even questions it anymore, and then everyone, and then people start to demand it. Or, you know, if you create a vehicle like an electric vehicle that has a lot of power, it's equivalent to a gas-powered car. And people start to drive it. They start to see it and they hear it, and it's quieter. And it creates this product that everyone's like, ah, that's better. And then they forget about their other cars, and then they start demanding it. I don't know. It, it, it changes society. Uh, so so corporations can provide these products that then change demand and then then all of a sudden people are you know making these demands of other companies as well and it also makes me think of like chick-fil-A and all right so they're gonna have chicken that doesn't have antibiotics in it so if chick-fil-A makes that commitment that's going to change the entire chicken industry across the world because of how much chicken they buy so You know, yes, are there companies that are shirking their responsibility? Are there always going to be corporate leaders and people in society that do bad things and try to not do the right thing? Yes. But are there enough companies out there? Are there enough good leaders out there who are making choices so that their company is going to be viable long range and into the future so that their customers are going to continue to demand their products and that they are also concerned about society? I believe yes, and maybe that's the optimist in me.
2: I also feel like this can be brought back to how the satellite technology can bring light to that, because oftentimes consumers might have a misconception about a company and think that they're doing better for the environment when they consume an X product and If and when satellite research is is being used, I think that consumers might be able to finally understand and realize, and that's where the shift is going to come from. The demand is going to dramatically change through that aspect.
0: You're listening to a Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. Tomorrow, my guests, Georgia College Business Law and Ethics Professor Jahan el Drabagi, and Georgia College Marketing Student Gavin Holloway explore the depth of corporations' engagement in efforts to combat climate change. During this week's Times Talk, they ask the question, climate change, can corporations come to the rescue? The Times Talk takes place at noon tomorrow via Zoom. You can learn more on WRGC's Facebook page. We'll be right back with more of our conversation on corporations and climate change. Stay tuned. about the consumers role in encouraging uh, perhaps even forcing corporations to conduct business in a way that is environmentally responsible
2: I feel like it's a lot larger than what people think I think that there's a lot of steps that consumers that we need to take um, in the smaller picture and the more present-day issues and I think that by bringing more people to a better understanding that we're going to start to see a shift. However, I think that um, when this shift starts, people are going to start to realize that when they invest into this corporation by buying a product, that they are not only buying that product, supporting that company and what they're doing to the environment, but they're also put into the category of the Scope 3
0: emissions. And those scope three emissions being, of course, those kind of uh, downfield emissions or effects that are caused not by the corporation itself, uh, but some of the uh, corporations, part suppliers and others that um, are a part of the larger network uh, that brings these products from raw materials uh, to finished products to the consumer's plate or door or garage and driveway.
2: Yes, I think it's going to be a lot easier to understand the actual impact of a company whenever we're going to be able to easily understand scope three emissions. And, you know, a company could receive like an ingredient or something that might have a negative impact, but people don't know about it. But this company could be doing great things for the environment. But I feel like when satellite research is being used in especially machine learning and how that data is going to be tracked by machines and it's going to be brought to light that I think people are going to start paying more attention to this and that that's going to have a bigger role in how a company operates.
0: And do y'all feel that there is a broad consensus amongst consumers, uh, specifically here in the United States, that would enable a large swath of our society to move forward in engender in one voice to affect this issue? Um, again, I'll call back to uh, my cynicism about the situation. We've been talking about greenhouse gases, the emissions from the fossil fuel industry uh, for the course of my entire lifetime, but yet when I get out on the roads these days. The size of the cars is bigger than I've ever seen it before. The amount of emissions and the uh, lack of uh, fuel efficiency is uh, constantly a battle that we are still waging, Uh, despite really for, I would venture to say the last 10 years, uh, having firsthand experience of the beginning of the detrimental effects of climate change. Can we build consensus to save ourselves?
1: I think Daniel and I may be around the same age, and so he's speaking to a reality that I've seen, talking about the bigger cars, fuel guzzling. I mean, our fuel efficiency has improved. Those cars have gotten bigger, but they sip less fuel. Um, Our fuels have gotten blended. It's also regional. You know, we're living in a, maybe you'd argue, fairly rural area of Georgia. If you go to other places, Metro Atlanta, especially Northeast, uh, California, I-5 corridor, et cetera, you're going to see a lot more hybrid and electric cars. And if you go over to Europe, it feels like the future from someone who lives in rural Georgia, where the streets are almost silent from all the electric cars. It's unreal. And so our perspective is colored by where we live which is in a rural place where there's lots of people with large pickup trucks and big wheels and, you know, um, but it doesn't mean that there haven't been improvements across the world and that customers aren't clamoring for these technologies.
2: Yeah. I also think that being a college student, I think I've come to realize that corporate culture has already changed enough towards environmental sustainability that it's affecting people at the age that I'm at. And One thing that I've been learning is a lot of people are starting to acknowledge that, like, this is an issue because this is what they're going to have to believe in in order to have, like, a successful career going forward. And I think that it's something that we're starting to realize is going to be a standard for the hiring process. And so I think that it's starting to affect how we think as consumers, but it might not necessarily – be making an impact on how we're acting as consumers yet, but I feel as if when corporations start to make these changes on a larger scale, then consumers are going to realize that their practices are also the problem, and how they act is also the problem, and I think that with this change, it's going to change how our society thinks, because corporate world controls how your day-to-day life is acted out and I think that if you were to go to work and you know you hear that your company has cut down on emissions by X then you're gonna start to take pride in that you're gonna start to realize okay this is something that we can change and I think that people and specifically consumers and employees of um, companies are gonna start to make changes that might not even be large but it's gonna have a large impact due to population
0: And could y'all indulge me one minor digression as we talk about the perspective generated uh, from where we are from? Specifically, my uh, cynical uh, perspective uh, generated from uh, my engagement in our uh, regional uh, culture. Uh, Jahan, of course, an earlier conversation uh, we've had... um, Uh, possibly years ago, uh, was about uh, research you'd been doing, travels you'd been taking uh, to Western Europe, uh, specifically looking at how some of their corporations were seeking to affect uh, the environmental situation we're all living through. Uh, Might you talk a little bit about differences in the ways that we talk about environmental and uh, corporate responsibility uh, between our societies?
1: Specifically, I was in the Netherlands, Belgium, and Germany. Uh, Our conversation was in regards to companies there. And Netherlands is a very pragmatic country, and they realize that in order to change behavior, they have to incentivize behavior. So the government has incentivized behavior through subsidies and credits In order to get people to recycle, for instance, um, their recycling is amazing compared to the way it is, especially regionally here. And they have figured out how to incentivize more environmental waste disposal. And so there is an upfront cost from the government, but then they recoup down the road. And so another example in Amsterdam is that they are, in the entire city of Amsterdam, they're closing it to all internal combustion an- engines. <laughs> so it's, that sounds absurd. Like if you said you're going to close millijole to all internal combustion engines, like, you know, life would grind to a halt here. But in Amsterdam, there's so many electric cars and electric cabs and electric buses and electric trains that they are able to put in a regulation like that. So it's just far more progressive governmentally, uh, maybe societally than it is in the United States. You have some places, um, you know, San Francisco, L.A., New York, Boston, that Portland, Oregon, Seattle, they all come to mind as places that have like urban growth boundaries and um, are more progressive in their environmental regulations citywide. But nationally, we have suffered in terms of our environmental policies because of our swings back and forth. Whereas these European countries, even though they have swings between their various political parties, they still seem to find common ground in these environmental issues.
0: And are those conversations and those uh, frameworks and those uh, regulatory efforts something that we here should aspire <laughs> for? Or is it a, uh, a different conversation and framework that needs to be tailored for the American society, in y'all's opinion?
1: The challenge in the United States is our size. These countries in Europe are small. They're populated. They've run out of space. So the writing is very much on the wall in regards to environmental crisis. You know, they see it. They see the sea rise. They see their lack of land space. We, it's not in our face. You know, we just have so much space in, in this country, like space for waste, space for development, space that we have not run out. It has not become a crisis in our face. And so we are unable to move as a society because of our, which is sort of sad because of our huge resources that we have in this country. It's like until we use enough of it, until we run out, unfortunately, people who don't have foresight, who, people who can't do long range planning, it's not as important to them and they're not willing to move the needle. So it, it's a problem of, of scale
0: and Gavin I'll ask you does Professor L's last response ring true for you and your peers I'm going to kind of
2: segue off of what she said I think in America we, we are behind and we're behind in the sense of we haven't taken the small steps to start to move towards this bigger picture and an example of that is food deserts and food deserts support corporations that are hurting the environment more than how a small local business would. And I think that there's issues even as small as that that are playing a part in this bigger picture. And I think that it kind of relates to college life and and college life is sort of surrounded off of, you know, I don't have money and how am I supposed to afford the organic aisle that isn't hurting the environment when I can go, say, buy a big bag of Tyson chicken nuggets and have food for a week. And that bag of Tyson chicken nuggets is filled with plastics, and those plastics are produced by companies that are emitting gas emissions to affect the greenhouse gases. And I think that as a college student, it is not shown to us the effect just like she said about it's not in our face and i think that we are blinded by being able to afford it in the environment that we live in and even to relate to like the food deserts people are blinded by what they know and it's it's gotten to the point where culture has accepted this to be a norm and this norm is playing a part across the country and i think that you know people start to say okay well why should i do this if like everybody else around me isn't doing this and it's all about trend setting and how we as a society interacts.
0: You're listening to a Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. Tomorrow, my guests, Georgia College Business Law and Ethics Professor Jahan el and Georgia College Marketing Student Gavin Holloway explore the depth of corporations' engagement in efforts to combat climate change. During this week's Times Talk, they ask the question, climate change, can corporations come to the rescue? The Times Talk takes place at noon tomorrow via Zoom. You can learn more on WRGC's Facebook page. We'll be right back with more of our conversation on corporations and climate change. Stay tuned. Y'all have gratified me with a very thoughtful conversation about a topic that is very important to me. I think that I've allowed my cynical role in the conversation to uh, play an outsized part of the conversation. Before we ask the last Times Talk question, ask y'all to bring us out on a more optimistic note. What gives y'all hope for what we're seeing in this conversation and in this time in our world?
2: I think the biggest thing that brings me hope is starting to see the efforts and starting to see larger-scale operations and you know, seeing how society is developing new technologies. I think that's what brings me hope. I think that we as consumers are starting to realize and understand that the future is ahead of us, and we've always seen the future as, oh, new, fun stuff, but we've never seen the future as okay, this is new fun stuff, but this is also doing good and it's going to save my environment. It's going to save what I love about the environment. I think I I enjoy seeing more people realize that, and especially being from Savannah, Georgia, being on the coast, I see a lot of people that love and care for that coast. And I think that by seeing that, it brings me hope that, more people are going to see that it's it's bringing me hope that there is going to be a future out there where we can all be on the same page and fight for this goal
1: my hope is on three fronts one my students every time that we cover environmental issues i'm heartened by their knowledge their background information and their hopefulness and so every time i have 40 80 students I know that there are hundreds, thousands more behind them that are the same ilk and are just as hopeful. So that's one encouragement to me. The second is other countries. Seeing the policies that are in effect that just seem so normal and easy in other countries, I know that it is possible to implement those policies in our country as well. And then the third is great corporate leaders who earnestly are concerned about future generations, are earnestly concerned about the impact of their companies in the world and who are making changes, who are digging into the data, who are making real disclosures based on real information and who are making changes, decreasing their impact and trying to make the world a better place. And so uh, on those three fronts, I am encouraged.
0: And, of course, our last Times Talk question is always, uh, what do you hope your audience takes away from the conversation in the Times Talk on Wednesday?
2: I hope that people are just going to start to realize what is going on and start to pay attention to it and support what they believe in. And, you know, I'm not asking anybody to change their opinions, but all that I would want of other people is, them to at least hear it out and to recognize and see what's going on. I think it would be too bold of a statement to say, you know, I would love everybody to be carbon zero, but I I do hope that by bringing light to this situation, it's going to start to change the mindset of new employees at companies that are going to start to take more of an initiative to, you know, in the next 10 or 20 years, work towards this environmental sustainability and working on making sure that we can still enjoy what we love.
1: From my perspective, I'd like students to think about how companies can make a difference. I teach students in the College of Business. These are people who are going to be in business and potentially business leaders in the future. And I'd like them to think about how they as business leaders can affect The world, not just their customers, but the world and the choices that they make with their companies.
0: Jahan el Drabagi, Gavin Holloway, thank you all very much for joining me on this Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having us. It has been my pleasure. You've been listening to a Times Talk edition of Georgia College Connections. Tomorrow, my guests, Georgia College Business Law and Ethics Professor Jahan el and Georgia College Marketing Student Gavin Holloway explore the depth of corporations' engagement in efforts to combat climate change. During this week's Times Talk, they ask the question, climate change, can corporations come to the rescue? The Times Talk takes place at noon tomorrow via Zoom. You can learn more on WRGC's Facebook page. On behalf of WRGC 88.3 FM, I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. I want to thank you for spending a portion of your evening with me here on Georgia College Connections. Hope you enjoyed our time together, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you again next time.